You're listening to the Sunday morning sermons from North Bullet Christian Church, located in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. If you have questions or would like to know more information on our church and or ways to connect, grow, and serve with us, email us at info at northbulletcc.org or come and gather with us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. And with that, let's look at today's sermon. Right. So, Romans 8, 12 to 17, God's Word says this. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided, we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to share with you this morning a a tale of two adopted dogs, okay? Two adopted dogs. This is a personal story from my life. About about nine years ago, uh, for those of you that know my wife, Karen, uh, Karen and I began to realize that our old family dog, was she was getting up there in age. Uh, we had adopted her from a rescue. I don't know what she was. She was this big, giant, mutt, mixed dog that we got from a rescue at a, at a pet store. And uh, we brought her home. She's she's older than our children. We had her before our kids were even born. And she was she was starting to get older. She was such a cool dog. I can remember my daughter as a toddler in the kitchen. She would jump on her back and ride her around like a horse. And uh, she was gentle, but her, she was getting old. Her days were running short, and we knew that her passing would come soon. And, and we began to look for a dog that would just kind of ease that transition, especially for our children. I always wanted a, a big purebred boxer. I like those kind of dogs. I thought they're cool looking, you know, big, muscular kind of guy dog, right? And so we, we went out, we found a, a boxer rescue, and, and we picked out a dog, and we adopted her. And, and this turned out to be an incredibly bad experience, if I'm honest with you. Within a few weeks, she became aggressive toward our older dog. She would snap and growl at us. And, and if you've been around a dog like a boxer, a big dog like that, like a, a full-grown aggressive boxer is not something you really want to mess with, right? And this culminated in an evening of terror, I had taken Haley, my daughter, to soccer practice, and, and during that time, the, the boxer decided to attack our older dog, and a bloody duel ensued inside of our house until Karen, my wife, was able to break them apart, calling me on the phone in a panic to come home and help. Uh, our older dog uh, survived, but she received kind of the brunt of the battle. She, she was beat down pretty bad and had been bit in a lot of different places. It took us a few weeks to nurse her back to health. And so we, I ended up coming home that night and calling the rescue that we had gotten her from and said, hey, you need to come pick this dog back up and take it back to your rescue. She needs some help. And so from there, we went from the boxer to a little bit more family-friendly dog. We started to think through what did we want to get. And so we, we settled on a lab, right? Fluffy lab. Those are, those are good family dogs. And, and as a matter of fact, the local animal shelter in our community at that time, they had an adoption day and we had been online looking for a dog and they had this small lab listed on their website that would be available for adoption. And so the, the day that the, the adoption day of this animal shelter, that event was going on. I was working. And so Karen, my wife, was set to the, with the task to go and uh, get the dog, adopt her, and bring her back home. 
But since it was a, a really nice looking dog, a nice lab, she was met with some stiff competition when she got to the animal shelter. There were a few other people who were interested in the dog. And so the, the animal shelter determined that they would kind of do a lottery for whoever would be able to rescue this dog or buy it from the animal shelter. And I'm not sure how everything worked out, the details of the story, but I know that another man won the raffle. Uh, but if, for those of you who know my wife, she's actually a really good salesperson. She was able to probably emotionally manipulate this guy in a way to gain rights <laughs> to purchase the lab. Maybe my daughter was along with her. She was probably nine or 10 at the time. Maybe she enlisted the, the sad eyes of Haley, my daughter. But that day she ended up with who we know as now as Chloe. She's still a part of our family. She's probably about 12 years old now. And so we, we brought Chloe home and she immediately became a part of our family. She's an amazing dog. She's so gentle and nice. She submitted to our older uh, matriarch dog of the family uh, that we had, and she was really gentle with our children. She's one of those dogs that uh, you can yank on her tail and grab her face, and she just won't do anything to you, which was good for our kids, right? Uh, there, there were a few hiccups in the learning process, if I'm honest. I mean, she obviously, she was in an animal shelter. She was a runner, so there was one, like, right after we got her, the front door was kind of left open, and she bolted, and we were living near a busy street at the time, she was able to drown out our calls to her and was just barreling down that street. And one of our neighbors kind of ran out and, and scooped her up and saved her for us and, and brought her back, uh, back home to us. Um, but she soon learned that our house was kind of a, there was a safe place. Uh, it was a safe place for her to come. And she, you could tell she was abused. Like still to this day, when you reach out and try to pet her head, she kind of ducks down like something, someone had smacked her around a little bit or something like that. But she learned that our family and our home was, you know, kind of her place of refuge, a safe place for her. And in due time, she became part of our family, right? That's all, oftentimes what our pets are. They kind of become part of our family, embracing us as we embraced her and learning within the family, you know, you got to learn the boundaries and rules. So now when I open the front door, she doesn't just bolt out. She waits for me to kind of give her permission. She goes outside, she listens when I call her back in, unless there's a rabbit that comes flying by and then, you know, she drowns everything else out. But she learned the boundaries and the rules of being part of our family. Now, I want to connect this. This is kind of a picture. It's a, it, we have a similar adoption story, don't we, spiritually speaking? When, when our Father, God, places affection on us and stopped at nothing until we were in His warm embrace, that's what we would call our spiritual adoption story. It brings us to our main idea this morning. Our main idea is this, when we, when we place our trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are adopted into the family of God. This dog that we adopted, it took her a little bit to trust us, right? To stick with us, to, to keep her from when we opened the door, bolting out and going barreling down the street toward wherever she was heading to. It's similar with us, when we place our trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are adopted into the family of God. Of God. In this particular passage, we've been working our way through Romans 8 over the last few weeks. Paul here, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, wrote this letter. Paul is heading toward the finish line within this opening train of thought. There's still a lot of chapter 8 left to go, but his opening train of thought is heading towards like a bookend or a finish line. He begins this section with a, with a phrase. He says, so then, right? So then, we might say, listen up or, or hear this. Paul's basically, he's taking a breath here as he bookends 
his opening proclamation, if you remember that beautiful verse 1 of Romans chapter 8 that says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Obviously, the work of Jesus is crucial to understanding that we no longer, we're no longer under the condemnation of God. And it's important to understand that there is a purposeful movement of God towards the hopeless sinner in what we know as, again, our adoption, right? Our adoption into the family of God. Verses 12 to 13 now. So then, Paul says, or hear this, listen up, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Our main idea focuses on our relationship with Jesus in two ways. Trusting him, I use two words there, trusting him as Savior and Lord, or Lord and Savior, whichever order you put those in. We have a tendency, though, to lean heavily on the, on the Savior title, don't we? Jesus as our Savior, and oftentimes we can leave the Lord title to the wayside. But, but notice the language of verse 12. The Bible says here, it says, we are debtors, and it says not to the flesh. What does it mean when, when you have a debt? You owe something, right? You're, I would say this, you're obligated to pay, aren't you? You're obligated to pay. We are under obligation now to, to Jesus, who, who did this, who, who put to death sin in our lives through the power of his spirit to live as our Lord God, Lord God, intended for his children to live. Jesus is indeed our Savior and Messiah, yes. He's our loving brother and friend who came to uphold, this is what Jesus did, he came to uphold the justice and love of God through these things, through living perfectly for us, through dying on the cross for our sins, shedding his blood, and raising from the dead his resurrection, conquering sin and death, so that, this is the result, so that the record of our debt of sin has been erased. And to bring us in this way under the headship of the Father, right? That, that he is Lord over us, to live under his lordship. We can view this almost as an umbrella over the top of us. To live under his reign. He's King Jesus, we call him, because of what he's done. I think John 1, 12 to 13 uh, helps us with this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. A key word there, right? Belief, trust, confidence in Jesus. When, when a person is adopted into a family, they shouldn't be brought in and treated differently than the biological children. Rather, they are granted the rights and privileges of the family. It, it, may, it may be silly to, to think of this in light of our pets, like I did in my, my opening reading for, for Chloe, our, our loyal lab, but I think it's a great illustration to understand this point. She is submitted under our authority and leadership. She lives in obedience to our calling and commands and is recognized as in a sense, a member of our family, of our pet family, right? And this brings us to our first point. Our first point is this. Through Jesus, we are children of God. Notice I said through Jesus. Through the work of Christ, we are children of God. Only through belief in Jesus are we given the right to become children of God. 
The Bible teaches in this way that, that not every human person is a, quote, child of God. The New Testament goes to great lengths to emphasize who are the children of God. Clearly, we uphold that every human person is made in the image of God and loved by God. We see this in his common grace, right? We have air to breathe. We have food to eat, shelter to live in. That's God's common grace. But only through our adoption into the family of God by belief in him are we given the right, it says, to become children of God. Verses 14 and 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons, we could say and daughters, are sons or daughters of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, here it is again, children of God. Notice the language. Both the leading of God through his Spirit and the response of the person back toward God. You see them working together concurrently. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. And our spirit, the scripture says here, bears witness with the spirit, the Holy Spirit, that we are indeed children of God. They work together through, through the joining together of our spirit with God's spirit. Listen to this truth. Our fundamental identity has been changed. We've been transformed. We're a new creation in Christ. We're adopted into the family of God. The apostle John in, in 1 John chapter 3 actually uh, draws a, a sharp contrast between the children of God and what he says here, the children of the devil. 1 John 3, 8 to 10 says this, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides or rests in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he is born of God. Do you see that? There's a, when we're born again of Christ, there's a wrestling with sin, right? We can't just keep going on wrestling with the same old fleshly desires over and over again. And then John goes on in this passage. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Do you see the distinction there? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. You see the distinction of, of the children of God and those who are living in the devil's ways. The scripture says that it, it is evident by the way that we live, who we belong to, right? Or where our allegiance uh, lies. Who, who's our Lord in our life? Is our spirit testifying, confirming, witnessing with the spirit of God that we are children of God? Have you truly embraced who Jesus has declared you to be by his finished work? We're getting into this question of identity. Who am I? Who do I belong to? It brings us to a point of application this morning. I want to encourage you, Christian, to embrace your identity in Christ. Jesus has changed you. He's changed your life. You've been born again of the Spirit of God. I'm going to share a lengthy quote with you. Because uh, sometimes other people just explain it better. I found this quote, uh, uh, Dr. Stephen Myers, he's a, a professor at a seminary, and he explains our identity in this way. Okay, follow along with me. Here's a quote. The blessedness of Adam in his creation makes plain what humankind's identity as creatures ought to be. The fundamental identity of every man, woman, and child is that of a divine image bearer. We talk a lot about that. We're made in the image of God. That is what human beings were created to be. 
What that means for us today is that our identity is not found in our sin. Did you hear that? Our identity is not found in our sin, our sinful choices. Reading on, often the most difficult part of turning away from a particular sin that has infiltrated your life is feeling that in rejecting that sin, you're rejecting part of who you are. You think that if you surrender your bitterness against that person who did that thing to you, you will be surrendering part of who you are. If you seek to distance yourself from a particular vice or addiction that has been a part of your life for so long, you will be setting aside a part of yourself. If you cease gossiping, if you curb your your natural inclinations in order to avoid offending others, if you scale back your desires in order to increase the peace of Christ's church or to send the gospel forward into the world, you suppose that you are sacrificing your your very identity. He says this, you're not. You're not. You are sacrificing your sin, to be very clear. You are sacrificing a distortion of your identity in order that to find your true identity as an image bearer who dwells with and worships the God who made you. None of us can excuse our sin by saying dismissively, this is just the way that God made me. All men and women do have particular and different sins seemingly stitched into their fallen identity. But those sins, even if they are present by nature and not by choice, are not part of humanity's fundamental identity. God made us for communion with himself and communion with his people, right? Coming together as a family. That is where we are to find our identity. Do not sacrifice who God made you to be in order to cling to what sin has distorted you to become. You were meant for holiness. Embrace it not your sin. Have you embraced your new identity in Jesus? Here's the truth. You're no longer a hopeless sinner, but rather a reconciled child of God. We we have so many I am statements in our culture that define us by our fallen nature rather than our new nature in Christ Jesus. We have I am statements that define us for the sins that we've committed. Maybe, maybe you've said, I am an alcoholic, or I am an addict, or you've said, I am an adulterer. Maybe you're defined by the I am statements of sins that have been committed against you. I am a victim of sexual abuse, or I am a victim of emotional abuse. Maybe you're defined by the result of sin in the world. We call this the fallen creation. You could say, I am depressed, or I am anxious. These words, I don't want to deny this, these words may be a part of your story, right? Where you're at in life, where you've come from. They may be a part of our story, but there is one title, one identity we must truly embrace. One I am statement we must say. We must say first and foremost, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. And that is the title the identity that we truly need to embrace. That we're sons and daughters. I am a son of the King, King Jesus. We are sons and daughters of King Jesus. And because of this, because of of this work of Jesus, belief through Jesus, we are children of God. And being children of God brings us to our second point. It grants us this, through Jesus we're granted close connection with God, okay? We're not distant relatives, we're children of God. We're gonna speak of relationship now, the relationship that we have with God through Jesus. 
The nature of our relationship with God has changed due to the work of Jesus and the influence of God's Spirit in our lives. The Bible said just before this that that our spirit works with the Spirit of God and witnessing or testifying or telling the truth that we are children of God. We are adopted into the family of God. We are His children. Therefore, we're granted close connection with God. Listen to this, Romans 8, 15. This is a beautiful verse. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Man, take hold of that truth this morning. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. I'm going to add as daughters also. As sons and daughters, by whom we cry, look at this title, Abba Father. We could say it this way, Dad. Dad. This sentence conveys the, the wrestling of our flesh and spirit of, of God in a unique way at the first part of verse 15. This is, this is the battle of life in a, in a fallen world. Our, our sinful flesh longs, it yearns to go back to where we were, right? We see this pictured in, in the life of Israel. If we think back in the Old Testament, in the Exodus story, right? Israel was enslaved in Egypt. And we're going to pick up the story where they've been, I'm just going to summarize it for you. They've been freed from Egyptian tyranny and enslavement, and yet, when the road to freedom, promise, and connection with God became difficult, the Israelites, what did they want? They wanted to go back. They wanted to go back to that old, comfortable place. I'll say it that way. Even though God had, had conveyed his love and affection for them through amazing things, right? Through miracles and signs and wonders and, and leadership in Moses and Aaron, through his very presence surrounding them, right? God was out in front of them, leading them. God was behind them, protecting them, wasn't he? We have a similar wrestling. We have a similar wrestling within within our flesh. Will we go back to the way of death, the comfort of the flesh, or will we persist, hear these words, persist and persevere with the Spirit of God, the God we call Dad? Are we going to keep going? We're we're reminded here that when when the lure of the flesh emerges emerges and, and festers once more, that we have, we have not received the spirit of slavery. That's what Paul says here. You don't have to go back. Rather, we, we have received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Father God, help me. I love this, this particular verse because it, it demonstrates Paul as a, he's an amazing, powerful coach, isn't he? He's saying you don't have to go back. You don't have to give in. You didn't receive that kind of spirit that just allows you to give up and and put the chains back on yourself. You've received the spirit of adoption that that brings close connection to the God that has created all things with the spoken word. That you have such an, an intimate relationship with this God that you can call him dad. That's amazing. He highlights here, Paul highlights here positively who we have become in light of God's love 
and pursuit of us, our adoption into his family. You're no longer a slave to sin, a slave to the devil and his influence. Rather, hear this, you're a child of the king. And so what's, what's our application? Simply put, embrace your heavenly father. Embrace God. Have you truly soaked in the, the deep affection and love that our father has for us? A lot of you have met my, my dad. He, he doesn't live near here. He's about six hours south in, in Atlanta. And a few times a year, he's, he makes the drive up this way to come and visit my family. And every time I see my dad, his pace quickens towards me and he grabs me and he gives me a hug. And my dad's an affectionate guy. He's going to give me a big old wet kiss right on the cheek. It used to be right on the lips when I'm like, dad, I'm like, I'm a man now. This is kind of weird. <laughs> Even when I was in, in high school, uh, he usually made me walk to school, but on the, on the rare occasion where he would drive me to school in the morning in front of all my buddies, my dad always, you know, I'd be like kind of like trying to get out of the door as quick. The car's still moving. I got the door open because I knew my dad was going to hug me and kiss me. But now I, I see that as a beautiful picture of our heavenly father warmly and embracing us, drawing us in loving us. He shows his, his great love for us, Romans 5.10, right? By sending his son while we were his enemy to die in our place. We can imagine this, this kind of embrace from our loving heavenly father toward us each and every moment of our lives. That's what Jesus accomplishes. He brings the favor of God upon you the love of God upon you, the warm embrace of your Father. If you're feeling lonely this morning, if you're distant, God loves you and he's embracing you through his son, Jesus. Number three, okay, we don't just get a warm embrace. We're not just adopted in the family as children. We get an inheritance. Isn't that amazing? Through Jesus, we're promised a great inheritance. Right? The good news doesn't just stop with the reality that we are adopted into God's family and have afforded this close, intimate connection with God. We're also treated to the promise of this great inheritance. It says, with Jesus, verses 16 to 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, here it is, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided, right, Paul's not going to leave out that there's some tough news here. He says, provided we suffer with him, right? Jesus had a rough life, didn't he? Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also, here's the good news, be glorified with him. That word glorified is amazing. That we're going to get the same inheritance that Jesus has. It's pretty amazing that the position, I want you to think of position now. The position where, where we have been placed by the work of Jesus. Paul here puts simply, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And he doesn't deny this. We, we know this in our lives, there will be difficulty. Anybody with me, right? We will have difficulty. Just as Jesus faced persecution and suffering and grief, but the reward is worth it. We see it in the life of Christ. We see it in his resurrection. In the midst of suffering, this should give us this word, hope. 
Hope. The hope of the promise of glory with Jesus and this, and an eternal inheritance with him. I use that word eternal. How long is eternal? Forever. An eternal inheritance with Jesus. In my reading and studying this this past week, I was confronted with the reality that hope is a virtue to be nurtured and worked towards. I have a tendency to be cynical in my life sometimes. And I have to work on being hopeful. It's, It's a virtue to be practiced And we can practice it in this way. Here's some some practical advice for you. We can practice it through remembrance of the story of God. This is how we can foster and grow hope within us. By remembering the story of God and his faithfulness toward his people as a sure and steady indicator that he will fulfill all of his future promises. Where do we see the story of God's faithfulness? It's all over the scriptures. We find it in the Old Testament over and over again, his faithfulness to a people that were at many times not faithful to him. We see it in the giving of his son. We see his faithfulness. I'm just mind blown at the man who authored this letter under the inspiration of the Spirit, breathing out murderous threats against God's people, the church, and God came to him. His light shone around Paul. He met Paul right where he was at, gave him exactly what he needed. And Paul at that time needed to be knocked on his tail side, didn't he? And he said, how long are you going to fight against me? God was faithful to this man. He even changed his name, right? Gave him a new name. We've got to remember the faithfulness of God. And then look at your own life. Mark out the ways that you've seen God be faithful to you time and time. Again, I can't even count them. How many times God has shown up in my life, his faithfulness towards me, his faithfulness towards you, all of your stories that you share with me. It's a sure and steady indicator that he will fulfill his future promises. I'm going to end this morning on two beautiful, hopeful passages of Scripture, Revelation 21 and 22. And this this gives us a look into our inheritance, our our legacy. The passage here says heritage. Revelation 21, 5 to 7 says this, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, here it is, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Man, I could use some truth, right? And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That's a big statement, isn't it? To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water, of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son, my children. Here's the truth, family. History is heading toward an incredible inheritance. The the inheritance is this. It's a a new creation. 
where death is no more, where tears are no more, where they're wiped away. It's a new creation bursting forth into the old. In Jesus' resurrection, we witness this. He's called the first fruits of a promise, right? He's the first fruits. Jesus raised from the dead in a body that's, that's made whole, new, and better. It enjoys the physical benefits of creation. After the resurrection, Jesus ate and he drank. I love that because I like eating. The old fallen creation will pass away and a new glorious creation will come. That's the the culmination of history that we find in Revelation 21 and 22. And as heirs with Jesus, we will, this is the inheritance, we will dwell with him forever, for eternity. Not floating in clouds, but united with him in the new heavens and new earth. The physical dwelling place of God in his creation. And the garden pictured in, in Genesis in the beginning will give way to a beautiful garden city. We find this in Revelation 22, 1-5. It says this. This is the, the vision given to the Apostle John. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Bright as crystal, right? Okay, if you, if you guys ever been by the Salt River? river? It's not bright as crystal, is it? Bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Right, So we see the city there, but also we see a garden also on, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit. Notice this, yielding its fruit each month over and over again, providing the leaves of the tree were, were for the healing of the nations. Again, no more death, no more tears, no more pain. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. God's dwelling place with people and his servants, right? Us, the children of God, will worship him. They will see his face, right? There will be no fear of God. We will see his face. As the Bible tells us, through Christ, we have confidence to approach the throne of God. And his name will be on our foreheads. And the night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever. And if that's not long enough, it says, and ever. Amen. Through Christ, we are promised these things. We've been adopted into the family of God. We've been granted close connection or relationship to the Lord God of heaven and earth. We've been promised a great inheritance with Jesus, reigning with him in the new heavens and new earth forever and ever. In the present now, I want to encourage you, family, embrace now your new identity in Jesus as son or daughter of the king. Embrace the close relationship we have with our father God, that we can Call him dad and practice the virtue of hope founded in remembrance of God's faithfulness toward you as this, as a sure indicator of his future blessing of you. Amen.